0: Welcome to episode 258 of The Digital Life, a show about our insights into the future of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. Greetings, listeners. For our podcast this week, we're going to examine the latest salvos in the streaming wars as uh, the number of... Uh, streaming services continues to multiply. Uh, this year in in twenty eighteen we have a number of new offerings and uh, offerings that are on the way. Of course, the Disney ESPN behemoth is going to be offering their new streaming service, and YouTube Red is uh, starting to enter the fray with some new programming as well. Not to mention uh, the offerings from Netflix Hulu and uh, uh, Amazon, of course. So uh, let's uh, kick off this uh, discussion with uh, an examination of YouTube Red, which is uh, sort of the premium brand of the ever-so-popular YouTube owned by Google uh, Alphabet there. And uh, you can get uh, sort of ad free viewing as well as, uh, some, some premium shows. If you subscribe to YouTube Red, Dirk, uh, there's a new show, uh, that has gotten some positive critical attention, Cobra Kai. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about that and, uh, how you see YouTube's original programming?
1: Yeah, so specifically to to Cobra Kai, this is a show that's basically picking up where the the old 1984 movie, The Karate Kid, left off. And, you know, Karate Kid has had a number of sequels and reboots and and things going on. But this series basically ignores all of those and returns back to sort of the the classic show. Um, This is a show I wasn't super excited for, but a friend of mine was. And so I agreed to kind of watch it um, because he was watching it. And I actually really enjoyed it. I found it very entertaining. Um, some of it was a little shocking. I was like, I can't believe that they're televising this in 2018 uh with some of the specific things that were going on. But that, you know, that notwithstanding, I think for what it was trying to do, it was it was well done and entertaining, even though it wasn't a, a piece of of high art. And specific to this conversation, it did lead me to the first time signing up for YouTube Red so that I could watch this program. It was a 10-episode season. The first two episodes were free, and the last eight were behind the paywall. Of course, as soon as I finished the series, I unsubscribed from the service while still under the um, you know demo deal, so I didn't have to pay anything in the end. Um, which you know gets to your your other question about YouTube Red as as a streaming service you know, for me, there's not a whole lot there. I mean, in the past, the closest I've come to subscribing to YouTube Red has been around my tablet use. Specifically, if I'm using Netflix or Hulu or other things, I can keep them running in a little box on the screen and go and use another app. So I can use my tablet screen. I can multitask with a show running and doing something else, which for me is about the way it goes because I get bored stiff watching a movie or television show. I hate hate to say it. Anymore at this point in my life Um, YouTube With YouTube though I can't do that You can only do it if you subscribe to YouTube Red Then they unlock the functionality For that kind of multitasking So I've sort of Thought about maybe I should subscribe Dot 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 for that only um, But certainly not for the content And you know for me content Wise you know YouTube Red is similar to HBO I'm not a regular HBO subscriber when Game of Thrones comes on, I subscribe, you know, for um, you know, I'll I'll even I'll make it as little as possible, right? So I'll kind of wait till the first episode, the first week is almost done or something, and then I'll subscribe, watch the first, watch the second, watch to the end, you know, try and make it so it only overlaps with two or three months or whatever whatever the minimum would be. So Um, you know, for me at this point, YouTube red is certainly in that bucket as opposed to the Netflix Hulu bucket, which are just always subscribed to no real thought about unsubscribing either for my and my wife's use or our children's use or some combination therein. Um, so yeah, I mean, streaming is getting more crowded, you know, it's getting more expensive at first cord cutting seemed like a great deal when you went from a hundred something dollar cable TV bill to a you know, $12 Netflix membership, um, you know, every, every few months, it just, it gets worse and worse and worse, the death by a thousand paper cuts. And, you know, before long at this rate, we're going to be back to a hundred something dollar bill to unlock the content we want to see.
0: Yeah. This is a very interesting conversation about the business models of, um, you know, streaming services, right? Because you don't have, um, well, you do have an aggregator insofar as Netflix is an aggregator of shows that come from, from different content providers. Um, but you kind of need an aggregator of all of those streaming services as well. So you can, uh, uh, have it all in one spot. Cause, you know, frankly, I don't care all that much about the, uh, the Chrome, uh, around the, the viewing experience other than, you know, it's nice that, uh, that Netflix has, has decent Chrome and, you know, it shows up when I need it to and goes away. I do like some of the X-ray, uh, uh, special facts that you can get on shows if you're watching them on Amazon, you can learn more about the cast sort of in real time and it has interesting facts about the you know the production of the show uh as as you were mentioning dirk it's it sometimes it is nice to have other options if, if the show is not moving along as quickly as you, you might like. So I do like that aspect. And, and I suppose that, you know, that's, that's great that Amazon has that little added functionality. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the bottom line is it's sort of a commoditized, uh, you know, pause, play, fast forward, you know, whatever, you know, this has been around since, you know, the VCR and, and we kind of get it.
1: What's a VCR, John?
0: So yes, we won't explain what a VCR is because that will make us look really old. So I I think the business models are are still so much in in flux or it feels like um, that whoever's putting these together is not really accommodating the people who – uh, like like yourself you know are going to turn h b o on just for Game of Thrones, which is exactly the same thing that I do yeah. because you know I want you know the shows that that I want and i 'm kind of disinterested in the rest of the offerings uh, additionally it it 's interesting that um, the competition for premium content is sort of get, you know, uh, spreading across, you know, multiple players now and archival content like, you know, the Disney ESPN, uh, whatever their streaming service is. Um. You know, that's, that's sort of another factor in there to, you know, make it, uh, you know, even more confusing. And, and then you have sort of classic movie content and, and pretty much anything you can imagine can be streamed. So whoever can figure out how to make this, uh, as simple as possible for viewers, uh, you know, it has, has some potential to win out in the long run. Right now, it just feels like utter, complete and utter chaos to me. Um, even though, you know, there, there is, you know, some, some great new content being created, um, there, there's one piece of it I, I find, you know, particularly, uh, um, sort of difficult, uh, to get, get my, uh, uh, head around and that's, you know, this, this, uh, homogenization of, of content, but, but Dirk, I think you had a a follow-up comment on my, on my, on my rant there
1: yeah i I mean you know sort sort of two things I mean one is there's it's there's a long time before it shakes out unfortunately we're gonna have more and more players and more and more players who are doing it doing it badly in one way or the other. I mean you can break it down into two two categories essentially there's content creation and there's content marketing and distribution and companies like h b o have nailed content creation i I'm sure if i if I was an h b o subscriber, I would find more shows beyond Game of Thrones in their current releases interesting and, and worth my time of, of watching. They, um, HBO over the years has a track record for good content. Um, there's other platforms then like YouTube that are fantastic on the distribution and marketing, but on the creation, they're they're pretty questionable. You know, they, one of the downsides of subscribing to YouTube Red for a week or whatever the time frame was, was they started spamming me with messages Trying to get me to watch other programs that they were offering, those programs didn't look particularly good. To be honest with you, they looked bad. In fact, um, either that they weren't well done, or they were just totally, from an editorial perspective, not appropriate for me and my interests and, and who I am. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I have very little faith that the content that they're creating, as all of these streaming services are spinning up their their own studios, um, is going to be for me. And I'll. Um, I, I want to say one other thing, but I, before I forget, I want to make sure you come back and talk about some of the criticisms you have for the content creation side of it from some studios like Netflix. But for me, the second part of it is, well, it's going to take a long time for this to shake out. For me personally, there already is a winner, and the winner is Amazon. And the reason Amazon is the winner is that it has a broad range of free streamed products through Prime, and it's the go-to place if I can't get something anywhere else, and so what I mean by that is uh you know there's there's some small number of shows that that we typically watch um you know those we are subscribed to on hulu or or Netflix or whatever the service is beyond that, if I'm watching something on my own, it's almost always something from the past that I'm remembering. I'm like, boy, it'd be it'd be fun to watch Rear Window or it'd be fun to watch. Uh, The Hunt for Red October, or whatever that might be. But who the hell knows where that's at? So what I've learned is there's a website called Just Watch at JustWatch.com, and you go there, you type in the name, and it shows you where it's at. More and more, the, the things that I consider good that are older are not streaming for free anywhere. If something's not streaming for free anywhere, Unless you're going to download it illegally, there's really only one place to go, and that's Amazon. If you go to Amazon, it has almost everything, and you can either rent or buy it, boom, right right there and have it. And so, for me, Amazon's the clear winner because I now have invested, I mean, I don't know how many years I've been buying videos there, but let's call it a few. I've invested hundreds of dollars in buying different movies that I like at Amazon, and those are now stored there. They're movies that I'm going to want to come back to at different times, and Amazon has become that content gravity well for things I like that I know are gonna be there. I don't have to go to just watch. I don't have to be frustrated that nobody's streaming it. There it is. So Amazon is bringing the good parts of other services like Netflix. You know, original programming, some is good, most is not. Um, you know, lots of free streaming stuff, some is good, most is not, but some of it is is good and, and worthwhile. And on top of it is that rental purchase layer that nobody else has. So I think for Amazon to be beaten in this space, it's going to take somebody like Disney or a massive organization uh, because, because Amazon just controls this this crucial, crucial part of it.
0: Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with that take on it. I think, uh, you know, I myself have a similar pattern in that. Uh, a number of the movies that I've bought over time now reside in my Amazon account. Which, uh, you know, in in the past when I bought you know a DVD or a Blu-ray, I kind of knew where it was physically in the, in the house, right? Or you know in in a stack somewhere. And and now that repository, you know, it's not quite as comforting that it's sitting on Amazon servers, but it will it will do. It, at least I can locate it um as opposed to just sort of wondering uh where the heck uh that show I paid for uh, is now. Yeah. Um so let's talk a little bit about uh sort of the original uh content creation part of um of streaming and how you know Netflix has really made a reputation for itself by uh you know knowing its users very deeply based on um, you know, what you're watching, you may like, uh, these, you know, these other, uh, shows or movies. And then, you know, based on that data, Hey, we can make some new shows for you as well. So, so this is, you know, uh, true of Netflix, you know, it's probably true of all of the streaming content providers in one way or another. Um, I think what I'm starting to see as, as I watch more and more shows, on Netflix um is I'm starting to see some of the gaps in that um uh, what sounds like a really delicious recipe for for delivering content uh direct to to me as as a viewer. I I think there are some significant gaps there and and I'll I'll give you an example. Um so because Netflix has uh a global audience now. I I don't know how many uh, hundreds of millions of subscribers they have but but it's significant uh, it means that anything that they they buy now anything they develop anything that they're you know trying to get an audience for it pays for them uh to develop shows that will appeal you know uh, across the globe and that that's probably uh stating the obvious but you know you don't just want it to premiere well in the US you also want it to do well in the UK mm-hmm. and uh you know uh, India Africa where, wherever else uh uh you know Netflix is streaming so the problem starts when uh you're you're looking for this uh this set of shows that appeals to, uh, to a lot of folks. Right. So, um, for me that, that tends to fall into the sci-fi category. Right. So I watch tons of tons of sci-fi yeah. and, and I've noticed recently, I'm um, you know, I'm watching a, a, a show now. I, I believe that it's, uh, uh, originally, a Scandinavian show, but I, I could be wrong about that it 's called rain and it 's a your typical post apocalyptic survival scenario uh, in this case, the thing that wipes out humanity is a virus contained in you know the raindrops that are uh, uh, sort of uh, you know eliminating uh, many people and there's survivors you know obviously struggling mm-hmm. uh, to to make it um, you know so so those shows abound, right? So uh, The Walking Dead, right, is an example of that. Uh uh movies the Hunger Games or uh, Maze Runner, you know, the, the list just goes on and on for uh uh survivors of post-apocalyptic scenarios. And I I think there's only a uh you know, so many plot lines you can explore. I mean, maybe th- maybe there are um uh some some uh, astonishing original plot lines that uh a very uh astute writer could come up with but that's probably not the easiest thing to do in in uh a uh, quick turnaround television environment so instead uh you can mine a show that already exists for these plot lines um and you know that foolish John is going to watch this show and, you know, pay the monthly subscription to Netflix, sit down on a Friday night and binge watch four of these. And I realize I've seen this darn show before. It was just called The Walking Dead, you know, season three. Um, <laughs> and, and I think the problem with that is now I, I get into shows. And I get five, you know, the premise sounds kind of interesting. How are they going to tackle this? You know, I get five shows in and I'm just abandoning. I'm just dropping these shows by the wayside because I I have enough. Interest that's peaked for me to watch a, a few episodes. And I have so many abandoned shows on Netflix that, you know, continue watching, uh, segment there is just filled with shows that I thought had promise and then just bore me to tears, you know, uh, like four episodes in. Now, part of that is age. We've seen a lot of stuff in our, our long lives, John.
1: You know, there's, you can only tell so many different stories in so many different ways. So, We've seen a lot of stuff. It makes it
0: harder for things to be novel, unique, and interesting, right? I, I, is that part of it, maybe? I don't think so, no? because uh, I, I think this is a problem based on my watching data, and, and I'll tell you why. Uh, if you know everything that I've watched in the past, right, it may be great for you to recommend a movie or a show that has similarities, that has not been tailored to me per se, but has similarities with things that I like, right? So in instead of tailoring a show to a particular audience, you are instead making something that has already resonated with that audience. And now it's just a recommendation, Mm -hmm. right? So if you enjoyed, you know, uh, this particular book, You know, you might like this other particular book. That book was not tailored to your data. It was written and it happens to appeal to the same demographic, but it has a certain uh, amount of, of, you know, original, we'll use original in quotes, like, uh, uh, creative input in there that makes, uh, that makes it new to you, Mm. right? I, and I'm not saying that these plot writers are 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 going out and and crunching the numbers and saying, you know, hey, for everybody who watched The Walking Dead, we're going to make the show that is basically The Walking Dead light, and uh, and you'll watch it. But it's starting to feel that way. Hmm. It is really, you know, evident in. Uh, a, it's this for it's this insidious formula that is is creeping in and making everything milk toast and in in the worst you know in in the worst way because you know you feel like Um, this is your, 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 your moment to relax and hear an interesting story and be surprised or hear a new tale. Yeah. And so it's all that much more disappointing when the thing that should be tailored to you, that dessert you thought you would like or the meal that you thought would be fantastic turns out just to be completely blase and makes you, you know, uh, that much more disappointed. Yeah. So I may be wrong in attributing this entirely to the datafication or the um, uh, sort of the analytics driven um, uh, what I see as shows and plot lines and things like that. But I've really never encountered this before in my life. And and you're right. It could be, I've just seen too many, it's <laughs> too many sci-fi shows for my own. There's play. not many new stories to tell, right? I, I you know, it, And, you know, back to HBO, you, you, you were saying, like, you thought that they've conquered a bit in the content creation area. And I would agree as well. I've, there are a number of HBO shows that have, you know, really surprised me. Right. So there is no formula necessarily that would have. Uh, generated the first couple seasons of Game of Thrones for me. Yeah. Um, there is no formula that, that would have, uh, you know, you could say it's a, a more realistic, uh, take on the f- uh, fantasy world a la, you know, Lord of the Rings, but you still do not get, you do not get to Game of Thrones by way of, um, you know, what, what came before it. It really is, does feel, uh, like its own thing. Yeah. Um, and, and and rightfully so, you know, it, it, it has, uh, you know, some, some tremendous fan base now.
1: Well, and it has decades of world building behind it, right? I mean, one thing I, I'm not qualified to have insight about, but is how, you know, how robust is the creationary process for all of these shows that Netflix and, and these other networks are cranking out? I, I don't know, but you, you have to think it's not the decades that George R. R. Martin had into, into Game of Thrones and that... That attention to detail, that craft, that time to to build something really special that had been already validated with with a large fan base prior to coming onto, you know, a, a, a television platform, um, is a big part of it, right? And you know, there's it, the 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 streaming services offering original content a lot more of it seems like like tissue paper. It doesn't seem like it has that um, that that gravitas um, that that sort of uh, architecture behind it. Um, you know, even if you think about Netflix, I mean, Netflix's biggest hit, I think still to date, is um, the political show. What's it called? Um, Kevin Spacey. You know, now it's now it won't be with Kevin Spacey, House of, of course. Cards. House of Cards. House of Cards, that's not original, right? I mean, House of Cards was a British miniseries and became a British series and was sort of a rehash of that, uh, probably an improvement to it, having seen both of them frankly, but, um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're just sort of scrambling for, for ideas, for something that will be marketable and enjoyable. Um, but maybe they don't, they're not investing enough to make sure that they're really, really great with, with few exceptions, you know, such as house of cards.
0: Yeah. There's, there's, um, I think the sort of the, the overlay of, of how much control exists over top of the the content creation layer, right? So um, I think that could play a part in this. So, so if you're talking about a show where um, the creator has the ability to go out and make the show as they intended it, versus having it be influenced by, Uh, Let's just say on on the opposite end of it, executive control or uh, lots of data and and analytics. Not saying any of that's bad per se, but I wonder if uh, we're beginning to see uh, Netflix become the victim of its own success, right?
1: You're opening up a different thread, though, right? I mean, what is the difference between executive control and data and analytics? I mean, executive control in television is an old story, right? you go back you know 20 years Seinfeld was making fun of executive control and input in terms of the making of that show and that's you know a meme that would go back probably to the beginning of television not just the 20 plus years since Seinfeld was on so executive control you know the the producer side versus the creative side i mean that's a tale as old as the medium uh, the question is what is the impact of data and analytics before the fact, uh, you know, after the fact, again, that's an old story. But to what degree is data and analytics the thing that is, you know, similar to A-B testing on the web, determining what should be made even before it's made? Um, I don't know. I don't know. And maybe it is to blame for why a lot of the new content that is being churned out feels like puppy mill stuff as opposed to, you know, really, um, really hearty, old, traditional, uh, full-bred stuff.
0: Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com. That's just one L in the digital life. And go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody. So it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening, or afterward, if you're trying to remember something that you liked. You can find the digital life on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Player FM, and Google Play. And if you'd like to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And, of course, the whole show is brought to you by GoInvo, a studio designing the future of healthcare and emerging technologies, which you can check out at GoInvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at D-Niemeyer. That's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. And thanks so much for listening. So that's it for episode 258 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time.